All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast here. Uh, I'm Jason with Brian, as always. You and your family just got back from a nice little family time. I hope you feel refreshed. I hope your brain is energized and you've got a lot new, uh, a lot of new deep thoughts and ponderings to share with all of us today, right? Yeah, thanks for asking. It was a refreshing time and a lot of time for me to sit and think and ponder through some ideas. And one of the ideas that I've been really rolling around is when someone's eyes have been open uh, inside, whether it's in your mind, whether it's in your, your, your heart or physically, how much your world changes and what that does to you. And so I thought today we would venture into this podcast idea that Jesus was the first person to offer the red pill to somebody. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with this whole idea of the red pill, maybe you haven't been on the internet in the last 10 years. Maybe you've never seen the movie, The Matrix. So um, th it's it's a really interesting thing, and I've never really thought about it in the context of uh, the Bible before. But what what we're going to dive into tonight and what you're going to realize as we go in this in this topic here is that Jesus actually, you could say, in a sense, red-pilled people. And in the movie, The Matrix, again, if you're not familiar with it, there's there's this, uh, the, the hero of the story is presented with a blue pill and a red pill. And he's he's lived his life where he's in the matrix. His entire system of reality has been built for him, built around him. So he's not living in reality. He's living in a, a constructed system that's been built around him and built for him to keep him in this in this way of living. And if he takes the blue pill, he just goes back to his old life in that system. If he takes the red pill, then he's woken up and he sees everything for what it truly is. And he sees the world for what it really is. And it was interesting when we were talking before, Jesus actually did this to someone, you could say, in, uh, in the story of when he was, uh, well, I believe it's the first blind man that was healed. Is that right? That's correct. So we're going to go over that story here. And I hope you guys start to see that that Jesus didn't just come to like give us some really good quotes, some really good verses, some updated versions of old Bible verses and and put like a new modern new twist on them. He he came to completely remove an old system and bring in a new kingdom. And the more that we've uh studied this story of him healing the blind man and what was going on in in that event, the more it becomes extremely clear that there is a, a clash of kingdoms here. There is a, a war of worlds going on um, ex exactly in this story. So go ahead and start us off on this, Brian. Well, first, I think it's important when we've been talking about relating to Jesus and relating to God as a father. So when we're reading anything, putting yourself into a position that you're actually, imagine yourself being taught by your father or being taught by the person that went through these experiences instead of you're reading ancient writings about something that we're trying to study. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't a place for that, but I don't think we can build the relationship on that. So if we put ourselves into the relational seat and asking the question, oh, why'd you do that? What's really going on? Tell me about the story. It will help put things into a different frame of reference because if the number one thing is to have a relationship, then we need also need to learn how to relate to what's been written. So I think there's a couple cool points here. And by the end of the podcast, I hope we, we can cover what is the effect of someone seeing for the first time? 
And I don't mean just physically seeing. I mean, you have this eye-opening experience to truth. And what is the effect on the world around you? What's the effect on you? And so that's one aspect. Then I also want to uh, tie over to why is this so critical to Christianity? Like, why, why would it be critical? And what is the cost to seeing? And then also the, the final point is bringing this into how can we relate to this? Like, what's the daily things in our life that this takes place? And how would, are we making decisions every day, one, to actually fight the truth changing our current situation or embracing the truth? And how does that uh, change us and how has transformation taken place in that? So hopefully we can cover like all three of those areas. So kicking off to begin with, um, John chapter nine talks about this, this first blind man. And again, I like to bring the humor of Jesus. Jesus just goes into the temple in John chapter eight, and he pretty much, um, creates more enemies by simply saying, God's my father. And I came from God it, insulting what they've once known about who he should be. And so he's completely upending their world by this statement. So they want to kill him. So they're about ready to stone him, and it says he slips out from the crowd and away from the temple and went through the midst of them passing by. I think that's a really just a, a fun example. Like the crowd is there to stone you, and somehow you slip out from the crowd and with your disciples, and you're on your way. And it says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw this man that was born blind. And I love these events. Like, it wasn't, okay, my master checklist from the time I was born until the end. Okay, pass through the crowd, meet the blind man, check. Okay, I got the, I got the crowd done, check. Now we got to go meet the blind man, check. Okay, this isn't how it was going. He was actually escaping from the crowd in a cool way. And he comes across this blind man. And the first question the disciples say, who sinned, him or his family. And I think we just need to pause there just for a moment because in Jewish culture and under the law, if there was a flaw, if there was a, a defect, if there was a problem in your life, it's because you broke the law somewhere. So therefore you're a sinner. So it could have been passed down from your family or it could have been you did it. And there is an element of truth to this because when we're born of Adam, we're all born into this but the Jewish culture and the Pharisees, they obviously were above all this. So this man was designated to his beggar spot outside of the mainstream uh, community. But his family was also was very involved inside the temple and in the synagogue as that was the center of all of their market, economy, politics. Everything was centered around the temple. And so... This was this man's life, and we don't know how old he was. So let's say he's 15, 20, 25 years old. He has never seen before. So we got a couple things. One, he was born blind. Two, the community thought that he was, he's a sinner because he's blind. He was stuck begging, but he has no concept of seeing. Just ponder that for just a moment. He has no concept of seeing. You could tell him about seeing, you could describe what seeing is, but he has no concept of it. Have you thought about that? Like, 
what would that be like not having a concept of scene right that's really tough to even imagine because on, on one hand it's it's one thing if you can see and you lose your sight you still remember what it was like you can still in your mind reference those things but to not even have a reference point to start with i it's really tough to even picture that for me not, not only that the only way he knew he there was something wrong with them wasn't because he was born and he couldn't see it was because someone told him he was missing out on something so just ponder that for a moment if no one told him that there was something wrong he would just go about life he knew he knew where things were he knew how to get around the community he interacted with the people in the community he could obviously do his business okay yet it wasn't until someone said you're blind you can't see somehow you're born in sin so basically the only way he knows these things is what someone told him but he doesn't know him because he he had it once and now he doesn't have it anymore i think this is very important when we're looking at a story it's like when when we see the blind man or you see someone blind what's the first thing a seeing person wants for them to be able to see but what do they want that's a tough question why don't we ask that question jesus always asked that question what can i do for you he never assumed by what he saw or imposed what he wanted on that person he always drew it out of them of what they wanted what do you want now it's very interesting jesus goes and he tells his disciples neither of them have sinned it's so the glory of god can be revealed and i'm just going to take a pause here god did not purposely i'm going to put the curse of the law on this man wreck his life let him never see so that i can show how great i am we have that in our theology so if we can just remove that theology how about how about this would be a more accurate description of what's going on neither his parents sinned nor he sinned to cause this but this event that's about ready to take place is going to reveal the glory of god it's a more accurate picture so god's glory is going to be powerfully revealed so he makes this point before he heals them is he says as long as i am in this world i am the light of the world so god's when he's talking about open people's eyes it was yeah this was a physical thing that would happen but this physical thing is going to demonstrate what's going on on the inside the more important matter so the physical is going to reveal the spiritual and he's and he had said these things and he spat on the ground made clay with saliva i think this is just amazing he's already doing pottery work and he anoints the eyes of the blind man with clay so he creates the clay and he goes up to the blind man. he hasn't said anything to the blind man yet the blind man's probably overhearing this conversation and he goes and he just puts this putty in his eye who does that like wouldn't you want to let the man know hey would you mind if i go ahead and stick some dirt in your eye like here's what i'm going to do and it's interesting there's such a, a neat metaphor of this he has lived based on the opinions of the pharisees and his family and everyone else as the dirt as someone who was spit upon and the thing that was put on him the dirt of the ground and the spit that he had to live in as a beggar as a lower class of society 
is the thing that Jesus used to actually open his eyes. Just There's a really neat story in that. So it kind of goes to show what your life is and all the mess. Out of that is usually where your life actually can start growing because the greatest fertilizer is waste. Little side note. So anyway, he puts this on and he goes and tells the guy, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed. He didn't say, I'm going to heal you. Go wash and your eyes will be open. He told him nothing that was going to happen to him. But the moment Jesus says, you go wash the spit and the dirt off of your eyes, everything that has blinded you, everything that's been a part of you, go wash it. And so he did. And when he washed, his eyes were open. Pretty amazing. So when you're hearing that, Jason, what, what goes through your mind in that whole event, just looking at it neutrally? Like you don't know anything about the culture. You don't know anything about what he was growing up in. You don't know anything about his backstory. You're just seeing this event. What, what goes through your mind? From the perspective of the blind man or? Just looking at the story. Perspective of the blind man, perspective of Jesus, doesn't matter. Pick a perspective. I mean, it, it seems like a like a display of Jesus having this desire to heal people. He sees something that's wrong. He wants to right it. He sees something that is bad. He wants to bring good. He wants to bring healing. And that's that's his whole point. And even when you mentioned he, that's what his statement was, as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. So whatever I come across, I'm, I'm going to be the light to that. And whatever that looks like, it might vary, but I'm going to be the light. I think when we're looking at these stories, that, that is an absolute truth, what you just said. But sometimes we can minimize the outcome of things as if that is the main point. Of, is the outcome. So for instance, if I say, if you do these six steps, you'll be successful in business. And then once you hit that point of success, that that's the, the outcome. Or um, you're trying to fix something in your life and, and you're, you, you have this goal of what you want it to look like, but that journey there doesn't seem to get you there. And so it's like, man, if I could just have a miracle to get there. And we're always looking at the getting there. But I think it goes back to a statement we made a long time ago is I think we're more looking for relief than deliverance. So when you're looking at that story, do you see God delivering this man or just bringing relief to something that was causing him to be lowered in society? Did he have pity? It's 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 absolutely a, a deliverance. Relief would be having pity on him, giving him some money maybe putting him up in a house or a place to live and feeding him and attending to those needs. But but what he does is actually delivers him from this, from this low standing, this, this beggar status to where he is now lifted up into a, a completely different status. And so it's not even, it's, it's not that Jesus comes along and says, Hey, I know that you're blind, and so that's made you a beggar, so you don't really have much money, and it's hard for you to get food, so I'm going to give you some money and some food because that's what you need. He doesn't, he actually, in the story, correct me if I'm wrong, he doesn't give him any money or any food. He just delivers him and brings him into this status to where now he is something completely different. All right, so let's talk about that status. Uh, what, who, what, what, what status measurement is being used? 
the status of his family, the status of his community, the status of the synagogue, or God's status? Well, there's, there's, I think all those are at play. I think for, for the blind man himself, it's not so much, I want to be able to see so that I'm like everybody else who can see. It's. Well, he didn't even ask to see. True. But Jesus saw something in him because just previous he says, I don't judge by the outward. I judge based on the heart. And so he's looking at things differently. So he's seeing something in this man that is calling out for him. And he does something that gets a that that changes things. But he never said, "I'm here to heal you," or that you know, like in other stories where the blind man comes and says, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I just want to see." Well, after this man's healed and you're blind, and you knew Jesus was walking around healing blind people, you would start asking. But no one even knows to ask this. Like it's it's never been done. There's no precedent anywhere in scripture of someone being healed from being blind there's precedent for a leper being healed there's precedent for um someone sick being healed there's there's precedent for someone even being raised by the dead through elijah so there's precedent throughout scripture of different things but the blind man never so i don't even think he knew how to ask for that what what do you ask for i don't it's it's part of your life and i'm not trying to belabor this point but i think sometimes we look at things so, uh, again, so linear that we, with a big top-down view, Jesus goes in, he's the compassionate guy, he sees a guy that needs to be healed of blindness, he does it so his glory is revealed, the guy's healed of blindness and set free, and because Jesus anointed, Jesus was anointed to heal the brokenhearted, open the eyes of the blind, set at liberty those that are bound, right? Because that's what he came to do. So it's almost more of, this is what he came to do, so this is what he's doing, and this man is just a byproduct uh, to make him look good, but it's just kind of this event to make Jesus be revealed in who he was. But we don't really see the impact on this man because his eyes being open in a real way wrecked his life, and we don't see that side of it. We, we skip that part that if you look from a societal point of view, he was better off not seeing. That's a really interesting thought on it. Let me ask you, I come to you, let's say you're, you're praying for something that you have this chronic uh, handicap that you've had your entire life. And I come to you and I set you free from it. But that chronic handicap has given you uh, Medicare and welfare. That chronic handicap has given you special privileges when you go to the store. You're older now, so you've been able to leverage it. Your family treats you a certain way because you need extra help in order to get that thing done. So your family treats you a little bit differently. You, you, new laws were just passed that give you extra favor because you have this handicap. And all of a sudden, your society has built around that. Now, you don't want this handicap. But the moment you don't have that handicap, all of a sudden, all of those benefits that you got or you perceived were benefits all came from that handicap, you would feel like your life just got wrecked. And I think it's very important in a lot of these pictures in these stories, we don't see how this being set free is something you have to deeply want, and it is free. 
but it costs you what you once knew. The world you built around the brokenness, it will cost that. You can't keep the world you built around your brokenness and take the freedom at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying in time everything doesn't get better, but there is a window that is going to feel pretty empty for a moment, even though it was grand. I think that terrifies a lot of people to even have to approach that idea. I mean, in in my experience, there's when people are facing big issues, they don't necessarily, or what they're really looking for is, okay, just fix this thing. I can deal with this and this and this. And so I don't, I don't want my whole world and my whole system to change. I just want relief in this area of my current world. I mean, we, we've talked about that with the Israelites too, in the wilderness where they didn't really, they didn't really want to leave Egypt. They just wanted a little bit better living conditions. They didn't, that, you know, they didn't always want to be a free nation taking the promised land. There was a lot of times where they were saying, you know what, it would have been better if we stayed in Egypt because you brought us out here and it's really bad. And I just want to go back to this world. I want to go back to this blue pilled world where my needs can be met and it might not be perfect, but at least I feel safe and comfortable and I know what's around me. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty habit for a lot of people. Oh, I fully agree. And to, just for the listeners for to understand the blue pill, when he's given that choice of the blue pill, the blue, the blue pill says, you will forget about the matrix and you'll go back to your life. And that little itching gnawing inside of you that's des- seeing something that's out of order and desiring something different, that will go away. Or you take the red pill and we're going to expose what that is and the journey of where that's going to take you begins. So that was the difference between the red pill and the blue pill. And it exposed the system that was surrounding the people that just chose to remain in the blue pill. Now, again, this metaphor with Jesus, there's so many applications that people use with this, but I just think it's a very interesting picture because this is what he did to this man. But I want, I think what's very important is Jesus was drawn to this man to have his, this man wanted his eyes open in a deeper level. So there is a drawing and a connection between this man and Jesus, but it wasn't as important about the physical eyes. What he wanted was his inner eyes open. And we can see that later on because there's a strength of character that emerges in this blind man that is really powerful. So as we go through the rest of the story, all of a sudden, People see that he's healed, and they take him to the Pharisees. I remember last last podcast you were laughing about, I can't believe it, this great miracle happens, and now we have to go get it verified by the officials to make sure this is an okay miracle to happen. Let me just tell you rule number one in life. If something amazing happens, and so, you have to get somebody of authority to validate whether this is okay to accept or not accept, we live in a, that's a dangerous problem. And it goes to an extreme with Marxism. And you see this play out. Our whole society is like this. Something amazing happens, but it happens to the wrong person. So now we have to condemn it. But if it happened to this person, oh, now we can celebrate it. Something's weird about that. So that should be your little red flag of life. Something's wrong. So this man, he gets dragged before the Pharisees. 
And they're like, wait a second. Is this the guy that was the beggar on the street? Wait, it, w- isn't, are we sure this is even the right guy? Like they don't, it wasn't even about not believing it. They didn't want this man to have it. And so he goes before the Pharisees and they are drilling him. What happened? And he goes, this man came up to me. He stuck dirt and spit in my eyes. He said, go wash. I went and washed. My eyes were open and now I can see. Okay, tell us the story one more time. All right, so this man comes. He he spits in the ground, takes some dirt, puts it in my eye, and he tells me to go wash at the pool. All right, but we're really not understanding what really happened. Now, who was this man? He goes, I don't know. I don't know who the man was. He spit in the ground, put some dirt, stuck it in my eye, and now I can see. I, I mean, this is going this is going on, and they're just trying to quiz him, and they're like, is this Jesus? He goes, I don't know. And they said, but that man's a sinner. He goes, I don't know if he was a sinner or not a sinner. It's really not as important to me as the fact that I w- couldn't see, and now I can because he spit in the ground. I put dirt in my eye, and I went to the pool, and I washed. And they're just bothered over this. I mean, think about when something good happens, a miracle takes place in your life, and it's out of the norm. We're not really excited. We're really trying to break down the chain of events to validate it. When in your heart, you could care less. All I know is this problem was there, and it's not anymore. Right? Oh, yeah. But then there's all this pressure to to justify it. Pressure by who? It's so funny. Well, it's so funny to see this with with the Pharisees and the religious leaders and how and how many of them are even split on it, saying, well, you know, this obviously must have been um, a man who's not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And others saying like, well, if he was a sinner, he wouldn't be able to do all this. And then they question the guy again and then they go to his parents. They just they just cannot accept this thing that is right in front of him. And so they they badger him multiple times about it and then when they don't get what they want from him they go to his parents and badger them about it to to just try to get some kind of some kind of reasoning that will fit their system to explain all this and that they can stand on instead of accepting what it is well first of all it would have been really kind if jesus would have not done it on the sabbath day because then he wouldn't have offended people the day of rest, when we're supposed to rest in what Jesus, when, of what the creator already did, right? That was what the day of rest was for. So he's coming in and telling us to rest in what's already been done for us. And then he heals us. But that, of course, that's causing a problem altogether. So, I mean, could he have but not done it on Friday? Because well, why couldn't he have done it on Friday? Does he have to wait till well, Sabbath honestly, day? That's what we ask. That's what when there's and and try to I'm looking at this from the principle behind it, because when there's something great or something that is needs to be done and is true, there's not only the the reasons it shouldn't be done, but then there's okay, well, why can't you do it this way? Why couldn't Jesus have done it the day before or the day after? Because if he did, he would have avoided all this offense, all this confusion. He wouldn't have split the Pharisees up. There wouldn't have been all these arguments if he had just done it in a different way. And we think that if we can just structure the miracle in the right way, that it's not going to offend people and there's not going to be division. But I mean, from my experience, it wouldn't have mattered if he'd waited a day or done it a day earlier. There would have been some reason that the people who didn't want to believe found to not believe. That's just how people are because people 
in general, don't look at things from a blank slate and say, well, I'll accept it if it's true or not. We generally try to fit what we see into our own already structured belief systems. And that's what's so cool about this is because there's, there's opportunity for people to believe and accept this new system, this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing in here. When you also have to picture, what was the Sabbath day for? Is man resting from his works and, and resting and allowing God to work? Like you're, you're more of a time of reflection and remembering all that God has done, and you're taking a break from your works. So for Jesus to go heal on the Sabbath day was man ceasing from doing all of their functionalities to accomplish that thing. But on the Sabbath day, man isn't allowed to do that according to the Jewish law. Now Jesus comes in and does it outside of man's labor. And I think that is part of that picture. And we could spend a lot of time on that, mm -hmm. but I want to get back yeah. to this, this blind idea. So he goes, just like you brought up, he, they, they go and drill the family. But the family does not want to answer this question. So it says in John 9, 21, his parents answered and said, we know that this is our son. I love the legal verbiage that they do to not offend. I feel like they're in social justice warrior land. So they're going to say the proper words <laughs> to not let the community ban their Facebook page. So here's the proper words. Then his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. And who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. I love that nice little shift of, I don't know if it was this way, and I don't know if it was this way. We know these facts, so they're, they're avoiding it. So they're not even excited. Their son has been born blind and can now see, and they are more concerned with not getting a offending someone than celebrating the most miraculous first time in history something ever happening before. I want you to ponder how powerful blindness is. So the real question is, who's really blind? And Jesus addresses this later. But, but how many times is something amazing, but it does not fit the narrative that we want, or it does not it will not be culturally celebrated if this is true. So we don't say anything. We just go silent. Right? It's amazing to me how, how deep that fear can go. Because it says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. Because the Jews agreed, if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And so it's because if we accept this, and if we say anything out of line with what our community is telling us to say, then we'll be kicked out. And so because of that fear, we're just going to keep quiet. We're going to say the bare minimum, and we're going to say things that are technically accurate and then pass on anything that could be disruptive. Because if not, or if we say anything out of line with what is acceptable, we'll be kicked out of our community. And it's scary how many conversations I've had with people lately that feel the same thing to where it's, if I really said what I believed, I would be kicked out of my friend group. And it is important that I, I'll just put a little caveat here. 
The Bible says to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. There is a time to speak and a time to not speak. We're not dealing with that. We're dealing with the fact this family valued more the praise and the approval and the acceptance of this community than their own son. And I think this is where the bigger heart difference is. There's a difference between being wise and being afraid. There's a difference between just being vocal and out there and you have no consideration for anybody else, but you just want to be heard. Those aren't necessarily what we're, we're talking about. We're talking about something amazing happens, a, mir- a miraculous thing, but I can't say it because the person who delivered the miracle is going to cause a problem for my life. I think that is, is where the bigger picture is. Mm-hmm. And when, when we, the Pharisees then turned to him, who, to the man who was blind, he said to him, why don't you give God the glory? We know that this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. And it's interesting, he wasn't doing it for his own glory. He was doing it for God's glory. But because it came through him in a, in a person that they could not accept, could not value, did not fit the standards, therefore he can't be of God. He's a sinner. He's a lowlife. I think there's a good message in that. You may not like the messenger that's bringing God's uh, wh- something from God. But you better be wise of who you're accusing of where he's coming from. If Jesus was absolutely despised among the leaders, and he was bringing, he was the son of God. So th- this is where the man says, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. Which I think that's a great, that is a great example of just being honest, but also the wise the wisdom you were just talking about. His parents refused to really say much because of fear of being kicked out of the synagogue and being rejected by their community. He's just being honest here and saying, look, I don't know if he's this or not. I don't know. Here's what I do know. And as the conversation goes on, you see him just being being bold and firm in what he does know. But I think this is a great example of this isn't a a cop out of look i don't i don't know if he's if he's a sinner or what he's not being this timid shy fearful person here right well i think i think it's really amazing too is in the next verse he goes on and he says why do you keep asking me all these questions and repeating the same questions basically or do you want to be his disciple too in other words, he's cutting to the chase. Why are you asking me these questions? I think we could eliminate so much discussion and arguments in if someone's arguing with you over anything and you finally could just ask the question, if I can prove that this is true, would you change your mind? And the, and the, the biggest response is no. I remember I worked on the sales floor uh, in Las Vegas as a sales manager at a big high-end electronics. This was pre-internet days. so. Um, there's huge money in audio and video equipment. And um, anyways, sales manager, and I was on the floor, and one of the sales guys was just arguing with me over, he was trying to talk about being amoral, and there is no absolute morality, and this is amoral. And it's going on for a long period of time. And I finally just stopped, and I said, okay, let me just ask you a question. If I were to prove to you that you're wrong, would you change your mind? He said, no. I said, great, let's go back to working. Because 
it's a waste of conversation. We're, we're actually trying to prove something that they're, their heart's not going to change. They're not even interested in changing. And that's what this blind man calls out on him. So you guys want to be his disciple? Is that why you're asking all these questions? And then they got really angry at him. And they said, we're not, you were his disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. So then he says in verse 32, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us and they cast him out. I want you to ponder that. He called them out. They could not argue that point. And the only thing they could do, and this is a huge point, when your eyes are open to a truth, this man really is not trying to defend himself. He's already made his decision. It's just that he's being dragged before the Pharisee courts and he's forced to respond. I want He didn't like go in there and barge in and try to change something. He was forced there. But while he's being forced there, this is what's really important. He brought the truth that they could not deny. And what is their only way of dealing with that when they want to remain blind? They come at him. They make it personal. Well, you're a sinner. Who do you think you are teaching us? You're this. And all of a sudden, it's almost like they're calling him names. Hey, we can't argue that you're telling the truth. And since we can't argue what we're, that you're telling the truth, we'll destroy who you are. We're just going to destroy who you are. So little, little um, note of wisdom, the moment they're attacking you as a person, you already won the argument. You're, you already won. The moment they have to go after you because they know it's the truth, and so that now they can't stop the truth, so they have to shut you up by destroying you. And then it says they cast him out. So let's, let's do a quick little recap. A man is sitting on the side of the road that was born blind that had never seen before. Jesus comes along, heals him. Then he gets dragged before the courts. He gets accused of all sorts of things. He has to go through the story over and over. His family will not answer him because they don't want to be kicked out of, the court, out of, out of that community. And he finds himself lost his job, lost his family, lost his community, and is cast out and is sitting at the gate cast out. Man, what a marvelous experience for the first man being born blind, healed. <laughs> right. Just ponder that for a moment. There's such a deep reality there. What are your thoughts as we're going through that? Like we're, we have to break down this whole story, but what, what kind of stands out to you when you're hearing all this? Well, I mean, I, I love how he doesn't feel the need to, to, prove himself to other people or try to convince other people of what's going on. All he just sticks to, here's what I know. Here's what happened to me. Here's my experience. And, and if you can't handle it, then that's, that's a whole different story. And he, I think he sees, or he realizes that it's, it's worth it to, to believe what's been done to him. And to stand in that and to not try to water it down or make it fit into their system and their way of living. He doesn't try to take this thing he's been delivered from this, this whole event and make it fit into what he grew up in. 
and what he's been a part of. He just, he just runs into it and accepts it. And it, it's an interesting that at, at that part, at that point, if I'm looking at it from his perspective, once they put him out, it's not looking like a very fun thing. Like you had mentioned, it kind of wrecked his world. But honestly, look at that for a minute. It's not that he knew, okay, well, Jesus is going to come find me and then give me a new job and give me a new community and all this. He didn't have any of that. I think that might be what holds a lot of us back is, you know, I want to do this or take this step, but I need God to tell me how he's going to get me from step A, B, C, and D before I agree to walk step A. You know what I mean? It's like... It's like this deliverance path is is presented to us. And we're like, well, if I know exactly how it's all going to work out, then that would make me feel a little bit more confident in walking in this and accepting it. And that's not really how it works. But at the same time, it's it's tough because looking at it that way, we can get into this mindset of, well, see, God just wants you to jump off that cliff and have faith that he's going to catch you and help you bring you into that new next level of life, you know? Yeah, because this wasn't a test. Like we said at the beginning, this wasn't God making someone blind so he could show off. This wasn't God testing this man to see if he'd have enough faith to stand firm in in the faith and not go back to the system of religion. That's not what's going on here. But I, I think there's a truth that we're afraid of freedom. And I don't know if people have ever really sat and listened to some of the parliamentary um not the parliament, but the, the house and the, and the, the Senate argument over slavery. And there was a lot of people that did not like slavery, but they still voted to not support the amendment that would free the slaves. And their argument was, we have to train these people. They we've, we've kept them in slavery for so long. We have to train them to how to live free because if we just free them, they're not going to know how to intermingle back into society and be productive and to do those things, right? Then there was the other side that said, so that would be, uh, you have the people that just did not want them free. Okay, so that I'm, I'm dealing more with the people that want that saw these people as people and wanted them free. They still struggled with the mechanism of how do you free someone so they could slowly integrate back in it and, and grow and and to be functional and to be a part of that but the other side said just free them and we'll let the chips you have to free someone then we'll deal with how do we bring that all about and i think jesus was a lot like that like there's there's a sense that god just totally frees us but we have to learn how to be free we have to learn what freedom is we have to learn those things but you can't learn it until you are and Jesus didn't go pre-prep this guy. Like, okay, here's the deal. Let me let me show you how to deal with rejection. Let me show you how to deal with loneliness. Let me let me show you how to deal with what it feels like to be cast out. But the reality is this guy actually knew all these things. Inside, he already knew he was the outcast. Inside, he already knew he wasn't accepted. Inside, he already knew all these things. So the reality for him when his eyes were open, we're we're seeing all these events take place. But inside, he's been living these events his whole entire life. His eyes being open just helps him to navigate differently. And so it's part of the reason why you see some people that are on the outskirts of humanity when they get saved. It's almost like 
they just live flourishing. But those that are have really embedded their life into the ways of doing things, when they get born again, it's harder for them. But the ones on the outskirts, it's almost easier. And part of that is they already know what it's like to be on the outside. They know what they are. Now they've received grace. They've received mercy. They've received forgiveness. Now they step up and rise. And part of it is because they're not so entangled to this, this belief and, and the cultural norms because they're already outside the norm. And so that's part of yeah, that I think picture. That's, I think that's one way this, really, this whole story really makes sense for us today because there are, there's two different journeys there. If you've never been freed and you've been an outcast your whole life and you receive freedom, that's that's a totally different journey than if you've grown up in this system of religion and you're comfortable in it and it's been your life and your world built around it and your connections are built around it. And so what does it mean to leave that? I mean, there are two different journeys and that it might be difficult to walk those at times. I mean, I don't want to make one seem like it's easier than the other because I I wouldn't say any of those journeys are easy. But it almost seems like it's easier if you've never if you've never been then to go back to our matrix example, if you've never been in the matrix in the first place, it's a lot easier to not go into it and not want to live in it. But if you've grown up, your whole life is in the matrix and it's everything or, you know, or grown up experiences there. Grown up knowing you're not fitting into your world and there's something else out there, but you just don't know how to get there. Exactly. That might be a better yeah. Yeah. Because that's a tough step to take. Well, and Jesus makes a statement when this is all over. Well, first of all, this is what's amazing. Jesus said, or it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, I thought this was interesting. Jesus didn't, again, okay, I'm going to heal him and then I'm going to go spy on him until the opportunity's right. And then I'm going to go grab him. And I'll say, great job, you passed the test. Good job, my son. Okay. He didn't know. He just heals the guy and goes on with his day. But he got, he heard, hey, that man you healed, he just got kicked out of the community. So Jesus went and found him. And I thought that was super cool. Like, here's this guy's open. His world just fell apart. He's free, but his world that he once knew fell apart. Right, because that's what when you're if you've never seen before, now you see you're going to operate completely different than what you did before. But you have to learn how to do that. That's the humility part. Like any, when I was in Taekwondo, I, I remember I got all the way up to my black belt, and the way the forms were done, all the way up to the black belt. And then when I got to black belt, they said, "Okay, everything you learn, forget it." And I'm like, "What do you mean, forget it?" Like. I've spent a couple of years learning all this stuff. Now I'm having to forget it because they did all that to develop your muscle structure a certain way. But as a black belt, you actually do it differently, but you need that muscle development, but you don't do it the same way. And so it was like this humbling point. You're actually starting all over again. Like you feel like I'm not even building on those things. You are, but you can't see it based on the mechanism of how you had done it before. And so it was like a starting over. And so Jesus goes and finds him. And Jesus only, only twice where Jesus says, I am the son of God. Usually he says, who do you say I am? Or people will say this about him, but he never publicly declared that God would do it or 
people would assume that he would tell who his father was, but he wouldn't say who he was. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when they had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? I love this. I don't know who he is, but I want to. Like, that, that's who I want. I love that. I, I just think that is just the coolest statement. It's like, not, well, I would, but look what he just did to me. I was, my life was going good. At least I had things in order. At least I had a little job. Now I have nothing. They kicked me out of the family. I lot. Like, none of those were even on his mind. It was like, I don't know who he is, but I, I will. I, I want to believe. And Jesus said to him, you've both seen him, and it is he that is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And then Jesus makes the statement, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those that see may be made blind. And then the disciples hear that and says, what are you saying? We're blind? And he says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. In other words, you're trying to hold on to your traditions, your way of doing things, your mechanisms of managing God, and all of that. So therefore, sin is sitting in your, in your face. This man is stepping out of that. So the, 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 the Pharisees were known to Jesus as blind, and those that believed were those who could see. And so it's interesting, these red pill, blue pill ideas are floating around through this whole idea. So here's a question I have on this. Do you think that, because I'm thinking of this in the context of how, how deliverance like that changes how we see things around us, like we'd mentioned before. So do you think with this, with this man that it was more that his heart and his mind and his you know, whatever his way of thinking was already open to what was going to happen. And it just took that event that he was waiting for. Or do you think it's this event that changed who he was? So in other words, was he, was he always ready? Was he always expecting? Was he always just ready to, I guess, be, be able to see and understand the Messiah and, and believe in all that? Or do you think he was more of just, you know, going about his daily life, not thinking anything of it, just thinking, well, this is my lot in life. I guess I'll be like this forever. And then boom, this miracle happens and his mind and his heart are completely changed because of that. I tend to believe more that he had no idea what being set free would even look like or how to pray for it or how to think about it. I think in his heart of hearts, he was looking for the Messiah to free him from his position. So I think there was an expectancy in his heart of believing towards something, but to the idea of how that would come about or where to get it or where that takes place, that wasn't there, but there was something that drew Jesus to him more than just, Oh, here's a tough object for me to go deal with. This will prove I'm something as we know, Jesus never did that. So there right. we have to be something that drew him in. So there, there's some place of expectancy. Whether it was to physically see, I, I don't know. I, I kind of doubt that because there'd be no concept of that, but maybe. Um, but Because I think about it in, in, in our, for our application, like what are we looking for? Are we, are we looking for a miracle to come and open our eyes so that we can see? And we're just, we're sitting there waiting for God to do something, waiting for God to show up. Or, or is it a different a different state of being for us today. It's 2020. 
we've got all these stories, we've got all the history, we've got the Bible. So we kind of, in a lot of people's minds, we've already been exposed to um, to the kingdom. We've been exposed to the gospel. We're already there. So I think that can tend to be a disconnect for a lot of people where it's like, well, I'm not where the blind man was, so I can't have the experience he had. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's let's remove the physical thing that was actually done. Right, the principle behind it. Yeah, I think the true principle behind it is in your heart, there's something itching at you that there's something more. There's something deep that you're desiring that's beyond what you can currently be in. And God comes in and answers that question. And I think that's for everybody on any different level. I think the problem is we try to mask what that itching is um, with something else, with systems and processes and approval of man that drowns that. And I think that's that heart cry. Uh, the, the, it's basically the orphan heart looking for the father that that's in every person. That's what this blind man at the essence, we don't have time to go through that, but that's in the essence of what it, what it was. Let me give you an example of just a natural everyday life thing. So where we go rock climbing, my son, his instructor, um, over the last, so he's been coaching David for probably about four years now. And we went to the, in, in the first couple times we met him, every time I saw him, I'm like, Hey, doing? What do you really want? And he would he could never answer the question. So he was just basically a guy who did his rock climbing, went went home in the morning. He would go weightlifting, go rock climbing, go party at night, meet girls. So that was his life for years. He was about twenty one years old at the time. And so every time we saw him, he was he was really he really good. He spoke really good English. Great communicator. Great coach. And I said, What do you really want? I, said, I don't know. About a year later, he came and I go, so Druin, what do you really want? He goes, I wrote it down what I really want. And he was describing this business that he wanted to do. And it wasn't about the business. It wasn't, it was, I don't believe I have to be stuck in this position anymore. And here's what I really desire to go after. So he laid out his plan. I'm like, man, that's amazing. He goes, I can't quit thinking about it. And I'm like, really? So how does how has this affected your life just bringing out something that you really want he goes well the funny thing is is i quit going out drinking and messing around because it interferes with me wanting to think about what i want to go do so it became a natural change to those things and so this goes on and then he finally goes and he's about ready to venture in and he's going to start his business and it, it's uh farming organic tomatoes and there's more history. There's a really neat story to this whole thing. But bottom line is his family was not behind him doing this. His father thought it was the stupidest thing at all. Every event possible of why not to go start this business was on him. And then he goes and does it. And I told him, and he had five guys that are going to help him, a couple family members. And I said, here's the deal. Once you step into this arena, it's going to get lonely for a while. Your friends are going to change. They may be around, but they're not going to relate to you the same way. Are you prepared for that? And he's like, ah, oh, that's not going to happen. Because he's fired up over what's going on, what he's really wanting. I, said, I just said, just be aware, and I'm here to help any way I can. 
six months into it, they start the business, it starts to get going, but then, uh, so this is kind of transpiring right about the time COVID hit, his business is about ready to take off, and now all the lockdown happens. So his family's like, this was dumb, you should never have done it, you failed at it, this is all he heard. And he goes, he sat me down, we, once the coat wins, we can go climb again. We went back in there and he said, Brian, I never understood what you said, that once you start letting your heart out, it can be lonely and all of these things. He goes, I, I thought you were just crazy. He goes, I fully understand what you were talking about. Because basically I described to him what's going on with this blind man. And in this journey, just so you know, he got to know God as a father. Um, Jesus came, is, is a part of his life, and he's learning how to work with God in, in this. So this is all a part of that process. And I go, this is what it feels like of being free. I go, now, can you go back to what you were? He goes, never. I, I never want to go back. It just is not comfortable being over here. Well, now he's emerged, and, and so much good is starting to happen, and he's learned through this process, and now he's not doing things from emotion. He's doing things from his heart passion, and things have changed. And I, he's a different person. He is absolutely a different person. I said, what is the greatest thing that's changed in you? Is he said, I, I am a businessman, and I am something different. Something is different about me, but I can never be what I was. And when I was first talking to him four years, he couldn't fathom being this. He wanted to, but it, he couldn't even fathom it. Now he is what he wanted to be, and the journey's really, it, it's progressing, and it's really a, an amazing story. And I think that's so much, but this idea of we want God to do something in our life, change our perspective, change us, um, God open our eyes, set us free, and he does. But a lot of times we are going back to the world we once was to validate, to support, to give credential to, to, to approve of in order to move forward. And I'm just here to tell you, when Jesus opens your eyes, if you're freed of something, it doesn't mean you don't love any of those people, but the relationship, that's where you're talking about your position changes. You're no longer what they have defined you as. You now are defined differently, and it takes a while for them to accept that new definition, if they ever will. That's the, probably the bigger piece of having your eyes open. And once you know that, you're okay with it. But man, there's just so much you can learn from this blind man, blind man how he interacted with the critics, how he handled it, how he never became angry, how he responded to them. He, what a noble thing, but his eyes were open, and more than just physically, he saw, saw it as it really was. So Jason, what is your closing? What would you, what would you communicate to people in all of this? Uh, it's kind of a big mouthful. It's a big idea, and I kind of wanted to do it in one podcast versus three. I mean, I'm glad you shared that story because it, for me, just listening to that, it that made the principles and the the meaning behind this story of the blind man that made it real. Because without things like that, it's it's very easy to see these kinds of stories, like we were talking about before, as you know, things that happened in history, special things that we put on the shelf that Jesus did while he was here, and it it's easy to remove any impact 
from our lives on that. But it's so cool to see how this is still how the father operates. He still goes after someone's heart. He still goes after what they're really asking for to get beyond all the all the circumstances you see around you. And if he I can, just wants to if I can on. interject right there to a point that you made at the very beginning about position change, that's what happened is he went from a sinner to a disciple of the son of God. Like he mm-hmm. went and changed his position and everybody says, man, I wish I could have a position change. And we talk about identity, strength, courage. Your position change is so critical, but do not think the world around you is going to be warmly accepting of it for a while. And I, I think that becomes important, but he changed. So to your point, that was one of the biggest eye open. When your eyes are open, your position changes. And to find comfort in the fact that, look, when you when you see this, when you start thinking differently and believing differently, there are going to be people that were close to you that don't don't join you on it, that don't see what you see, that aren't aren't supportive of that journey and and everything that that it entails for you. And that's okay. Like for me, it almost feels like, okay, I kind of can predict the future on this. And that's kind of an empowering feeling. I mean, not I'm being a bit metaphorical there, but you it's easier to take that rejection when you're when you know it's coming. I mean, it's never easy to feel rejection, but it's easier when you can expect it because then it almost it almost validates the original word. Like, hey, th- there's a change here and people are going to reject it. And then you see people reject it and even though it hurts, you can think at that time, you know what? That's what they said would happen, which kind of tells me I'm on the right journey here. Now, at the same token, you don't go looking for people to reject you, to to validate it. That's obviously not at all what we're saying. But man, that is comforting to me. And I just keep thinking of how that's really what the father wants. He wants to influence a heart. He wants to open people's eyes and just be with them on that journey. And you don't have to fit that into some old system of what you were. You don't have to fit it into the the legal system, the religious system around you, you can be free in it. Well, I think too, once you've truly seen something, there should become a demeanor of rest inside that you don't have to convince someone. It doesn't mean there won't be times you're going to have to make your case. It doesn't mean you won't have to present yourself. It doesn't mean that there isn't time to take action, but you're not there to try to prove you're right or not. You're just, you're proving what's happened to you. You're a testament of those things. And so you're answering those things accordingly versus someone who's really not had their eyes open, but they've heard about their eyes open. They're the most argumentative. And someone who's blind does not want to know what seeing looks like because you're damaging what they've been, the world that they've shaped in their imagination. And I think this, it it gives you more patience. There should be an element of patience. I feel bad for them. I can't do anything about them. That's why Jesus said, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. You you can't persuade someone who wants to hold on to their darkness. And so unless you're trying to convince someone about an idea you have, but you've actually never experienced the light, those are usually, that's where the biggest arguments go back and forth and becomes insulting. And anyway, Mm -hmm. just a perspective. 
Well, I would encourage everybody listening, go to John chapter nine and read through this story yourself because it's just so cool. And and even if you've read it multiple times before, there'll probably be something new that you see in this. So we appreciate you guys being here. Um, Brian, thanks for sharing all those stories today too. That made that made a big difference for me today too. And, and we appreciate all you guys listening. I know we've got a lot of new listeners tuning in. So one thing I would recommend doing if you're relatively new to the podcast go back to the last few episodes and listen to them just so you get a bit of a context of how we've been arriving at some of these ideas and some of these topics. Um, it kind of brings you up to speed on everything we've been going over today. So until next time, stay in the fight.